country and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a jopper for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us he ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, 
the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had, gone, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. It's a long passage. I've divided it into five, part, uh, into five different points, but don't worry. It's a normal length sermon. You'll get your cake afterwards in the normal time. Let's now straight back into our passage. Acts 10 verses 1 to 8. Our first point, God speaks to Cornelius. Acts chapter 10. It begins by telling us about this man called Cornelius. He's a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. He's in charge of about 100 men. And he belongs to a regiment of soldiers called the Italian Regiment. In verse 2 of this chapter, it tells us something pretty unique about this gentleman. He's a Roman soldier, but he's not serving the Roman gods. He's not interested in worshipping Jupiter or Mars or Venus. He's a God-fearing man. He's a God-fearer. But was he a Christian? That's what I wrestled with, one of those things. No, he wasn't. I don't believe he was a Christian. And the clue to that is actually in the passage that we're going to look at next week. It's in Acts eleven fourteen, and this is Peter giving the account of what happened. It says, Peter will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So at the point of Peter going to Cornelius, Cornelius is a God-fearer. But he's not a Christian. He hasn't heard the gospel yet. He hasn't responded to the gospel yet. He's not a Christian. You can know a lot about God, but it's only the gospel that saves. So it comes to about three o'clock in the afternoon, and Cornelius sees a vision. It tells us in verse three that he clearly sees in a vision an angel of God coming. And this angel calls him by name, it says Cornelius. And verse 4 tells us that Cornelius stares back in fear. Cornelius has got a healthy fear of the holy and the heavenly. He's told his prayers and gifts have been seen by God. And he's told to send for a man called Simon Peter in Joppa. It's a bit confusion, uh, confusing. Simon Peter is living with Simon the Tanner. So we're just going to say Peter is living with Simon. So Simon, let's ignore the fact that Simon Peter is actually Simon Peter. But... The angel tells Cornelius where to find Peter, and he's living with Simon the Tanner, and um, he's staying in Joppa. It's interesting. Why does that city of Joppa ring a bell? Where have we heard that before? Well, in the Old Testament, Jonah is, go uh, Jonah is commanded to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel, and he, he, he's to command that city to repent. And instead of Jonah going to Nineveh, Jonah boards a ship. In Joppa. And Joppa there signifies the fact that Jonah was being disobedient to God. You've got this man who had a special calling from God. He's a prophet. He's got a special mission. And somehow this man is still disobe disobeying the one true God. But here in our passage, you've got a Gentile. So Jonah was Jewish. He was blessed with having been brought up in the Jewish faith and having the word of God, the Pentateuch, with him. But here, You've got Cornelius, a Gentile, who immediately obeyed the command from God, and he sends three men to Joppa. Cornelius, a Gentile, still trying to figure it out. 
still trying to get his head around what it means, is seeking to worship God as he best knows how. And he obeys the angel instantly. He obeys God straight away. Let's move on to our second point, at Peter's vision in verses 9 to 16. So Cornelius sends three men. He's got two servants and one, um, one of his soldiers. He sends these three men to Joppa to where Peter's staying. And while they're there, Peter receives a vision. He's in a trance. And in the vision that he receives, there's a sheet falls down from heaven with all different kinds of animals on it. On the sheet, there's all different types of four-footed animals. There's reptiles. There's birds of the air. And he's told by God to kill and eat. And Peter resists by saying, surely not, Lord. One of the biggest contradictions in the Bible. I wanted to preach on this, but I don't have time. You've got the phrase Lord, which means commander and ruler. And Simon said, no. Well, if he's commander and ruler, then the only answer is yes. But Peter objects to what God tells him to do. And each time he objects, there's these words, do not call anything impure that God has made. And three, time God, three times God corrects Peter's resistance. What was the problem with what Peter was told to do in the vision? To kill and eat these animals. Why did Peter say no? Well, the problem was that the animals were mixed together. There were clean animals and unclean animals mixed together. Back in the Levitical law, there were clear boundaries of what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. You couldn't eat pigs, for example. Those were considered unclean. Certain birds were considered unclean. And here on the sheet, you've got clean animals and unclean animals mixed together, which made all the animals unclean. So he wasn't to eat it. In fact, it wasn't just that some of these animals were considered unclean. It was that God had expressly forbidden his people to eat them. This was not only part of God's safekeeping, but also to mark God's people as separate for the Lord. If you've got a Bible with you, let's look up Leviticus and you'll have an idea of what I'm talking about. Leviticus 11, verses 6 to 12. Maybe, actually, someone could read that out for us, if you wouldn't mind. Leviticus 11, verses 6 to 12, if someone's got a Bible with them. Just read it out, 6 to 12. Anyone? Thanks, Kevin. So there's no room for doubt. These animals that Peter as a Jew was forbidden to eat, God tells him now in Acts 10 to eat. What on earth is going on? God tells the Jewish people in Leviticus 11, don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat this. And now in Acts 10, he's saying, actually, you can eat this. What's happening? What's going on? 
In order to understand what's going on, we first have to understand the Old Testament. There were three categories of laws that God gave his people to live by. Civil, there was a civil law, there was a ceremonial law, and there was the moral law. We don't have time to look at this in detail, but I'll go through them quickly. And if uh, you want to read more about it, there's a free book at the back, um, Threefold Division of the Law. Have a look. It's 14 pages. It's complicated, but if you want to read it, it's there. And there's a civil law. So these were God-given rules that were for the people of Israel to give them a justice system, system pleasing to God. And it was basically to show that the Israelites were a separate people. These laws were given specifically and specially for the people of Israel. God gave rules to show that his people were a separate people. So God's people were living in amongst heathen nations. And God gave them rules to show that they were a separate, distinct people. And today the civil law isn't binding on us as New Testament believers because we are not the nation of Israel. Then there's the ceremonial law. So that's the civil law. There's the ceremonial law. And these were the laws that required an, an animal sacrifice to pay for sin. So when someone sinned, or it was the time of year to atone for sin, there would be a sacrifice of a lamb. And that foreshadowed the Lord Jesus Christ, who was to come. Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice once for all. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it was finished. He's the final sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. So in Christ, he fulfilled the ceremonial law. There's no more to be done. That's why today we don't sacrifice lambs to atone for sin. Christ, the final perfect sacrifice, bears our sins away. And the ceremonial law isn't binding on us either. What is binding on us as believers is the moral law. And this is what it says in Romans is actually written on man's hearts. It's the Ten Commandments. It's the law of God. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. This is what's binding on God's people. And Jesus often quoted from the law of God. And that is what we as God's people are to obey. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And you can read more about this in the Sermon of the Mount, where Jesus actually intensifies the meaning of the law, where in the Ten Commandments it says, do not kill. What Jesus says actually intensifies it, where if you've hatred or anger in your heart, you've actually killed your brother. So the moral law is for us today, and it's solidified by Jesus and engraved on our hearts. And as I said, if you want to read more about the, the threefold division of the law, please do um, take a booklet. So what I'm saying is, when God tells Peter to rise and kill all the sorts of animals that he told him in Leviticus, the Jewish people, that he couldn't eat, God hasn't changed his mind. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his word is the same. It's unchanging. He's telling Peter, look, it's a finished work. The ceremonial law is fulfilled in Christ. The civil law is fulfilled because you're no longer one ethnic group. God is for both the Jew and the Gentile. And, but the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, still apply to our hearts and lives. Now, Peter knows that what God is revealing to him isn't just about food. The vision that God gives Peter is about food, but it's even more so about people. God was showing Peter that what the Jewish people considered unclean, i.e. the Gentiles, were not unclean. 
Now, even before Peter gets this vision, even before Peter gets this vision of the sheet coming down from heaven, you can see in this passage that God is preparing Peter's heart. We said that Peter's staying with a gentleman called Simon the Tanner. In fact, the last verse that we looked at last week, Acts 9.43, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And then our passage this week, verse 6, he's still staying with Simon the tanner. What did a tanner work with? Well, he worked with dead animals. He skinned cows or goats, hung the hides out to dry, and then would have tanned them with various dyes. Now, Leviticus 11, again, in verse 24, which we didn't read, it says, By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. What on earth is Peter doing living with someone whose job it is to work with dead animals when those dead animals, as a Jewish guy, would have made it on, um, unclean? If he was living in Sunderland, you'd say, Peter, what on earth are you doing with your life, man? But... Luke, was that okay? <laughs> By including this detail of who Peter was staying with, it's showing, Luke is hinting at the fact that God is already preparing Peter's heart to accept the Gentiles even into the church. Even before God reveals his will to Peter, he's preparing Peter's heart. Not only is Peter staying with the wrong man, when Cornelius' messengers come, Peter invites them into his home. As, Jew, as a Jewish man, he should have left those messengers on the street. Not only that, even more astonishingly, when Peter goes to Cornelius' home, he goes in and shares food with him. Jews and Gentiles would not have associated together, and they certainly weren't supposed to eat together. Yet Peter's heart is being prepared. And the vision was a sign from heaven that Jews were no longer to call the Gentiles unclean. God was breaking down Peter's prejudice. The vision, as we said, was about food, but it was even more so about people. Just to clarify here, Peter, when he got this vision, he was in a trance. That's, if you read into the history of some false religions, that's how they start. Someone was in a, false tra was in a, a trance and they received a special message from God. So what makes this different? What makes this passage different? Firstly, Peter's an apostle. And as we've seen in previous weeks, he met the criteria for an apostle. Secondly, nothing he says actually contradicts Scripture. It's a fulfillment of it. And thirdly, we now have a full canon of Scripture, so there's nothing more to be added. So unlike the cults, this was a message of truth directly from God. Let's move on to our third point. Peter goes to Cornelius in verses 17 to 33. So while Peter's thinking about all these things, about the vision that he's had, these men turn up at Peter's gate. And Peter not only invites these Gentiles into his home, but he goes on a journey with them. Now, again, in our passage next week, in chapter 11, verse 12, it's clear that when Peter goes on his journey, he's not alone. He's got six Jewish brothers with him. So there's the three from Cornelius, plus there's Peter, plus there's the six Jewish gentlemen. So these ten people go on a journey together. And as Peter arrives, we find that Cornelius is waiting for him. He's called together his friends and close, close friends and relatives. Peter tells Cornelius in verse 28, You're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. 
But God has shown me that I should not call anything impure or unclean. Peter now knows what the vision is about. It applies to mankind. God's word is for everyone. Cornelius says in response in verse 33, I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Cornelius acknowledges that he's in, that they are in God's presence and the Apostle Paul was there to bring God's word to them and that everyone there was there to listen. No preacher could ask for a more attentive audience, could they? Our fourth point, God shows no partiality, verses 34 to 43. Peter begins this message to Cornelius in verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Peter's message is wonderful. It starts with the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world. He died. He was risen the third day. And he's come to see if history, theology, and the gospel once more combined. And Peter preaches that God shows no partiality. That word partiality, it means unbiased favor towards one person or another. Favoritism. Peter preaches that God is unbiased in how he treats people. And he does not show favoritism to one ethnic group over another. Now that statement that God shows no partiality or favoritism would have gone against everything the Jewish people thought at the time. The Jews taught that that God certainly did show partiality towards the Jews and the Gentiles. Towards the Jews and against the Gentiles. In essence, many Jews of Peter's day thought that God loved the Jews and to contrast that, loved the Jews but actually hated the Gentiles. And Israel had twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism. And I suppose that's a challenge for us this morning, not to be like that, twisting the doctrine of election into one of favoritism. It is only by God's grace that we are saved. Literally, grace means unmerited favor. Don't think anything different. Don't think you are anything different than the man on the street because it's only by God's grace. The Jewish people despised the Gentiles as dogs. According to one commentator that I read, the Jews, a Jewish man would start the day in prayer. And this was his prayer. He would thank God that he wasn't a slave. He would thank God that he wasn't a Gentile. And he would thank God that he wasn't a woman. What a way to pray. What a way to start your day. <laughs> In fact, if a Jew married a Gentile at the time, the Jewish community would hold a funeral service for that Jew. That Jew was considered dead to the Jewish community. So for Peter to say in verse 34, I perceive that God shows no favoritism, would have been a shock to Cornelius. It would have been a shock to Cornelius' household, but even more so to the six Jewish men that are with Peter. It's wonderful. I perceive that God does not show favoritism. God showed no favoritism in creation. He created Adam and Eve equally. Both made in the image of God. Both equally with a purpose. 
God showed no partiality in who the Ten Commandments were for. He didn't say, this commandment, do not steal, is only for this nation group and not for the other. He didn't say that this command, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, is actually only for older people, not for younger. He doesn't do that. The Ten Commandments, the moral law, is for everyone. God shows no favoritism in who he calls to repent. It's for everyone. And the good news of the gospel is not for a certain population. In every nation, every kind of person is welcome into the kingdom of God. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, not just Jews, all peoples across the world. Right from creation, God showed that all are equal in his sight. God shows no partiality or favoritism, do we? Maybe we don't realize it, but I think we all do. I do. Do you neglect sharing the gospel with people that you think might not be interested? If you had to select one of your friends to share the gospel with, I can almost guarantee you, because I do it, you would share the gospel with the person that you think is the most interested. You would share the gospel with the friend that maybe comes to church now and again, but isn't a Christian. Instead of going to the most difficult person, that's how we show favoritism and partiality. And yet if Peter did that, he would never have gone to Cornelius' house. God shows no favoritism. I challenge myself all the time with this when we've got a friend that comes to visit that isn't a Christian. It's my father-in-law, actually. Um, someone who's got no interest in the gospel, who every time you mention church gets uptight and frustrated. And yet, do I know what God is doing in that man's heart? Nope. So when he asks me what I was doing at the weekend, I tell him, I say, well, Steve, we went to the lakes yesterday or went to the swimming pool or whatever. And then I tell him that we went to church. Now, if I left it there, Steve would be a happy man. But I don't. And I don't do this to annoy him. I genuinely don't. But I don't know what God is doing in his heart. So I take the most of it. I don't do it to annoy him. But I tell him what the sermon was about. Every bit that I can remember. I tell him what the sermon was about. And he squirms. And he doesn't engage. But that's what I believe we're called to do. To share the good news with everyone. Don't show partiality with only sharing the gospel with the people that you think might be comfortable receiving it. Don't show favoritism to one group over another. Don't think that this person's too young to receive the gospel. Don't think that this person won't understand the gospel. Just share it. That's what we're called to do. We're to show as little favoritism as it is possible with who we share the gospel with. We're called to love one another not even caring whether the person loves us in return. In the book of James, we're told to ignore what someone owns and to treat, treat the rich man who comes through that door the same as the poor man. When you were at Sunday school, I don't know if you ever sang the song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. It's not very politically correct now, is it? But Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red or yellow, black or white, all are precious in his sight, Jesus loves the little children of the world. God is impartial. God is not swayed by what you look like, 
how old you are, what your family upbringing is, or how much money you have. He loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Our fifth point, and our last point. God-fearing Gentiles are filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized to prove the fact that God shows no favoritism. The Holy Spirit comes as an outward sign of faith in verse 44. The Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard Peter's, Peter preach and responded to the gospel. God's Holy Spirit came and fell on all those people who were not Jews but Gentiles. Remember the six people that came with Peter? Well, it says in verse 45, they're absolutely astonished. They can't believe what they're seeing. The Holy Spirit, just like the day of Pentecost, has come, but not to Jews, to Gentiles. The Holy Spirit has come. And because the Gentiles' faith is obvious for all to see, Peter asks the question, what does he ask? No, hang on, lost my place, that's where I'm to. Peter asks the question, can these people get baptized? I'm not sure if you ever ask a leading question. Maybe, maybe if you're going to the fridge and you know that there's only enough orange juice for one person and you ask your wife, you don't want a glass of orange juice, do you? That's a leading question. A neutral question is, would you like a glass of orange juice? Well, Peter asks the leading question in verse 47. Can anyone keep these people from being baptized? In some translations, surely no one can stop these people from baptized. That's the definition of a leading question. And those six Jewish gentlemen that are there, they don't even have the opportunity to respond. Peter makes the decision as the apostle and says, right, you're ready to be baptized. You've responded to the gospel. And notice the order. The Holy Spirit comes and then they're baptized. The Holy Spirit comes at the point of faith. The Holy Spirit indwells the lives of believers then and there at the point of them becoming Christians. It's not something that happens months down the line. It's there and then. It doesn't happen at baptism. It's at the point of faith. Now, the fact the Holy Spirit had come to Gentiles it was actually a fulfillment of one of the very earliest prophecies in the Bible. In Genesis 22, verse 18, Abraham, who was childless, he didn't have any youngsters at all. This was his promise. Through your offspring, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Not just Jewish nations. Through your offspring, all nations of the earth would be blessed. And through Abraham's offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ would come as a descendant of Abraham. And all nations of the earth would be blessed. Not just Jews, all nations, Gentiles. God sent his Holy Spirit into the lives of Gentiles. I'm almost finished. The Apostle Paul writing in Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave or free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. In Christ we are one. The Apostle Paul tells us all are one in Christ. God doesn't show favoritism to one person over another. All are one in Christ. We're one family in Christ. It's even closer than that. It's one body in Christ. And what does a body do? It moves as one. It acts as one. It thinks as one. 
We need to be praising God as one, that we're equal, that all his ways are right, that all his ways are just. Praise God that his word isn't just for a select group of people like the Jews. It's for us sat here this morning. Laura spoke in the kids' talk of being a servant. We're to serve each other as one body. Think of a servant's attitude, getting up so early in the morning to be about his master's business. A servant's love. Think of a servant's devotion to each other and to his master. Wholehearted commitment to one body. How you apply that is up to you. I'm not going to be descriptive. We're one body in Christ. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, neither slave or free, neither male or female. We are all one in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you reached down and saved us. It didn't matter to you what we looked like. It didn't matter to you how old we were. You just opened your word to us, opened our hearts to receive the gospel. It was nothing of us that brought that on. It was all about you. Father, I pray that you would help us not to show favoritism to one group over another, but, Lord, to see that your gospel is for everyone. Help us to share it without partiality. Help us to serve the body of Christ without partiality. Help us to serve every part of the body, even the people that we may not know very well, the people that we may not have known for, may not know for, have known for very long. Lord, help us to serve the body of Christ and help us as we work through what that means. In Jesus' name, amen.